You're listening to the Faith and Other Oddities podcast, brought to you by the Raven Creek Social Club, where we talk about faith and other oddities. For questions, comments, or to be part of the conversation, join us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, where you can find us at Raven Creek SC. Now for your hosts, Emily Dixon and Nathan Underwood. I always love it when you say, I'll put a link to the video. No, I'll put a link yeah, to the video. Actually, yeah, Emily will put it. We'll, we will put a, a link to the video. Well, of course, I do, I do all the, the audio editing right now. So, you know, yeah. it's, it's a team. Then I have to, to dig out all these links. It's like, okay, which one's going to... It's not that bad. But, you know, I have to grouse a little bit because you just add to my workload there. Yeah, well. <laughs> hey, is there anything else people might want to see? Uh, I can... <laughs> can mention it in the show stop <laughs> no what, what's your other other favorite thing you saw online recently <laughs> but hey you know if you're going to purchase something by all means use the links because that every little purchase yeah gives us a two or three cents gives the amazon affiliates yeah we get a get a nickel or something yeah if we're lucky <laughs> if we're lucky yeah <laughs> but and we actually talked about this and i'm gonna put you on the spot maybe by the time this this episode comes out we'll get the resource page up on the site yes that will list all the stuff that we've been sharing links to and that way you, you'll have a quick access to any of this whether it's a book or a yeah, podcast it, or well in that that way and, and as the podcast grows um you know in numbers as we you know we get you know up because I don't know how long we're going to go with this. This is it's an indefinite. So if we get up the 100, 200 uh, episode mark, then, you know, if there's a, a resource we've mentioned, you don't have to go through and scroll through and try find to everything. Try to remember which episode. Try to remember we, which episode. Yeah. If you remember the resource, you can go straight to the page, uh, resource page, and we we're going to try to have them cataloged neatly for you. Um, but we're, we have to figure out how exactly I want to arrange that. But so that's something that, yes, hopefully we'll be getting that done soon. My goal right now, because we, um, it's a little, I know everyone wants this detail or whatnot, <laughs> but after this episode, we'll have enough recorded from the day we're recording to get to the end of March. So that will give me, um, right now it's January. So that will give me enough to, hopefully I'll be able to get, just do a bulk of audio editing. And then I can have a few weeks off where I can work on the, on the webpage and on, uh, some of the other things. And just generally breathe. Yeah, yeah. Spend some time with family and get my book finished, maybe. Yeah, you and me both. We've got we both have books in the editing process. I think you're a little further along. And... Mine is almost done. I basically have to do one more read, one more read through, find a uh, a graphic design person, and then um, format. That's it. Mm -hmm. Like I'm that I'm literally that close. I've got one more brush with editing. That's it. That's all. It's just maddening. I've been working on mine for so long. Well, I, well I've been working on mine for years. So, yeah. Well, we both have, and that's the problem. Yeah. Is we got you know, there's always a new project, and it's like, oh yeah, that one's going to wrap up, so I can go ahead and start. But then actually finishing what we thought right. we were going to wrap up. Right. Well, it, you know, it's right now. Like like I mentioned, it's January. We were actually only supposed to have three episodes up as of today with our original plan, but then we. uh we kind of got our timeline boosted up. <laughs> Thanks, Joe. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, but no, it's been great. Uh, put us on a really sharp learning curve and made us made us get our stuff together and and get and get going. 
there was no procrastination allowed at that point. No, and so it was a good thing. And we're we're I mean, that's one of the things that we're grateful to Joe for is he kind of keeps us motivated to just to stay on it because it's not just about whether or not we get bored uh, with this now because there's someone else involved. And there's also now we have people supporting us. So those people, we, mm-hmm. we, they're, they're holding us accountable too. Exactly. And, and people seem to enjoy what we're doing. And that's just, that's crazy to me because, uh, you know, we were talking about this with our niece who we have one who is very, very talented artistically. And, you know, the things that she could do with the technology that's available to her today mm-hmm. that were not available to us. So I just, yeah, we, we're in the middle of nowhere, Oklahoma, and I know we have people now in Turkey and Ireland. And France. We got one in France. <laughs> we got a couple in England. Um, I guess, is that UK? The UK is... Uh, <laughs> yeah, United, United Kingdom. I don't know how, I don't know the correct way to refer to it, but um, I think we have someone uh, from Germany listening. We've mm-hmm. got... Uh, we've got a uh, we got a group of people up in Seattle. Yeah, there's um, a lot of visits from Seattle. There's a whole bunch of visits from Seattle, and um, we're t- and talking unique visitors. Not I, I say a bunch, like thirty, you know. But that's that's a lot for our page. And I want to uh, encourage people. Um, please, you don't have to say anything on the web page specifically, but if you're listening, write us, uh, send us a message. Uh, let us know uh, where you're listening from and how you found us. Yeah. Because that stuff is, um, for one, it kind of helps us figure out what else we can do to spread the word, but also it kind of... Um, it's encouraging. It, well, it's not just encouraging. It is encouraging, but it's also, uh, it, it's intriguing because it's, it's like a, a mystery. <laughs> like, what's going on out there? So, and who are these people that care what I'm doing? <laughs> yeah. So it's, it's really, it's, it's bizarre. And so we, we thank you so much, everyone, for, for being a part and and listening so um and so i think i think i've kind of rambled a bit long i got far afield of what we were talking about originally yeah, but. and it's always funny because we have such a hard time getting started and then oh yeah <laughs> well, once we pick a topic and start talking then we branch into five more well yeah but but yes so uh speaking of branching into five more topics uh yeah <laughs> so 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 today uh what is it we're covering today we're actually we're going to talk about the rabbit hole that I fell into when I started researching for the prior episodes. Um, this happens to me quite frequently. So, so we're, we're, we're kind of, we're, we're not, we're, we're not, kind of, ta- we're not continuing with the narrative. We're kind of actually stepping away from it a bit. All right. Yeah. This is kind of a sidebar and uh, it's kind of wrapping up specifically Jacob and Laban's time together and some things that have grown up around that time as far as tradition and folklore and mm-hmm. that sort of thing. And then we're going to return to Jacob in our, we'll be next week for everyone listening and uh, kind of continue his meeting with uh, Esau, the wrestling with God. And I know you're ready to get to that story. That, that story has intrigued me for a long time. And so I can't wait for that to come back. And, and, you know, I know that air, air date wise, it's going to be, uh, I believe it's, I believe that'll be the first one we do in April. I think so. Um, first or second one in, that we do in April. It'll be pretty early on, but um, that's going to be a long time, even for me for recording because you're probably not going to come back until uh, sometime mid March somewhere in there. Yeah, because I got a grandbaby who's going to show yeah. up somewhere in there. So yep. little little uh, 
Yeah. Little one. I, I almost <laughs> said her name. I don't want to. Yeah, we try not away. to give the kids names uh, on air. Uh, but if you know us, you, you already know her name. Right. So. <laughs> and uh, so that's exciting. Yeah. Emily is grandma. Which totally confused your daughter because she thought that meant that you were a grandpa. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, that was kind of funny. I'm like, nope, I'm not going to be grandpa for a long, long time. Um, so, yeah, we're still working through all of those connection family-wise with, with your kids because, I mean, our family tree is, it's not super confusing. Well, but also, also they're young, you know, they're not mm-hmm. even in school yet. So right. they're still figuring all that out. <laughs> so ever another really funny story about that, but I'll save it for later. <laughs> Yeah, save it for another time when we're struggling to try to talk. Um, so we're going to look at some things, like I said, that, that have kind of grown up around uh, these stories. And one of the things that we're going to look at is uh, kind of introduced in Jacob's speech, which we finished up with uh, last week to, to Laban, where he gets angry. Right. And he, he specifies that 20 years that he had spent in Laban's service and, you know, you don't just go for an overnight trip and then stay 20 years someplace. Most of us don't. Well, you know, I do have a few friends who said they were going to stay for a night and wound up staying months at my house. You know, I, <laughs> no, I, I will say that does sound like something I might have done when I was single. This is true. Because I didn't really have a plan for anything, really, <laughs> at all. So yeah, yeah. which yeah, <laughs> so so he goes to find a wife and because, winds up getting a job. Yeah, well, and, and the fact that he spent so much time there, there's a lot of questions about, you know, why did he stay, and was it more than just getting a wife? Because technically, as we mentioned last week too, he could have picked up with Leah and left at the end of that seven years. Right. So he was there not only the 14 years that he needed to work, he was also there an additional seven years or. Six years, sorry, I can't do math. Um, just hanging out and getting rich. And so there's, you know, and when you think about it in those terms, that's an awful lot of sheep that he was taking with him. And so right, who knows how long he was doing that. But the, the rabbis and the sages, uh, they really wanted to try to answer this question and to do so in such a way that it, it was flattering to, to Jacob. And so they they started, you know, like they do, filling in the blanks with some very interesting stories. And one of these stories is um, written in what we know as the Book of Jasher. Now, the story essentially goes like this. And it says that Jacob was there to study the, the Torah, which had not been written yet. But he was there to study the Torah with Shem. Noah's son. And so with Shem and, and uh, Noah's son and another, uh, I believe it was Noah's grandson, they all spent some time in this cave where they studied the Torah. One, one thing before we get too long in there, and I just, <laughs> I just was double checking. So Rebecca was Laban's sister. Yes. So... That's kind of interesting because when the servant goes to get Rebecca for Isaac, Laban doesn't make him stay very long. Right. So I that's well, they did try to get him to stay. Oh, that's right, they did. And but, mm-hmm. 
Okay, but he was like, uh, no, I'm not free to make that decision, I guess. Yeah, he's like, don't don't get in my way. I've got to get back. You know, I've got business to do. Right. Okay, so, so okay, so he did try to get him to stay, but so does this speak to the gullibility of, <laughs> of, Jacob? of Jacob or... Well, I, I think that goes back to, you know, I think there was a draw for Jacob. I mean, Isaac was, was a good guy, and he he was probably pretty plain and boring in Jacob's opinion. I mean, all dad does is dig wells and uh, plant plant uh, things in the ground. Right. And so that that's not very exciting. Where Laban, you know, he's he's a businessman, and he, he is scheming, and he's plotting, and who knows what I... Honestly, I mean, okay, I know I've sounded kind of rough on Jacob and some of this stuff. Jacob kind of reminds me of our dad in a lot of ways because dad always had a scheme going. Dad always had some kind of idea. It wasn't technically wrong. It wasn't con- technically uh, illegal most of the time. Uh, but I right. mean, he, no. had, he was always trying to, to figure out that next big, um, the, the, the next big idea. Yeah. So, sorry, I was just curious about that. Um, so uh, I'll I'll look more into that off mic. Oh. <laughs> All right. So so you were saying um Yeah, so the the tradition is at this point that uh Jacob's probably about 50 years old and that the idea uh that he was leaving because Shem had died. And so Shem is now dead and so it's time to pick up stakes and move and there's no real reason to stay. Okay. Now studying with Shem is would have been I mean amazing. This guy went through the flood. Uh, he was there when God talked to his father. He was uh, the one who supposedly gave the sacrifices uh, instead of Noah or on behalf of Noah when they left the ark. Okay. Now, the Bible doesn't say that. Again, folklore. But Shem had a very high... Um, Status. Yeah, that's the word I'm looking for. This is why we got to have Nathan to finish my sentences. <laughs> but... This is not found in any of the scripture, and I actually, I sat down and I looked at the timelines. Uh, There is a uh, great site, which we'll put a link to also in the show notes, doing that to myself, (laughs) of the timelines, and you can play with it to see where the lives overlapped. Yeah, I think you mentioned that before. Yeah. You are playing around with that the other day. And it kind of depends on how you do the math, whether it was possible for Shem to be around when Jacob was born. Right. Um, we do know that Abraham was definitely alive when Jacob was around. Um, it, there, there's, there's more overlap with the timelines of what you realize until you sit down and actually see it portrayed. Because once the Bible finishes up their, their main mission, a lot of times you'll get that and he died, you know, and he right. was buried. And the thing is, he didn't die at that point. He died later, but that was just the most significant thing in his life mm-hmm. that had been concluded. And now he was going to go walk with God and be a great guy. And death was going to be somewhere to follow. Right. So these stories, uh, if you want to read them, uh, they're found in something called the Book of Jasher. And the Book of Jasher is mentioned twice in the Bible. And if you want to look up those scriptures, that's in Joshua 10, 13. And that's, that's the account when the, the sun stood, stood still. Right. And it, it just says, you know, this is written in, as it's written in the book of Jasher. The other time it's mentioned is in 2 Samuel 1, 17. And that's when David laments over Jonathan and Saul. Okay. The problem is 
we've got we've got these books out there that are claiming to be the book of Jasher. Right. And you can order on Amazon. You can read uh, PDFs online. It, it's, it's out there. Uh, and I wanted to talk about this book, what's out there, because I've had interactions online with Christians who have said, oh, yeah, I've read it. I've got it. it it's, they are 100% convinced that they are reading the book of Jasher as it's referred to in the Bible. Right. It's not. And it, it's not the book that's in the Bible. And so I wanted to give some background on that so that, because, you know, it's, when, I've, when I've mentioned it, people have acted like I've slapped them in the face and they don't want to just accept my word for it. Well, no one does. Yeah. Well, yeah. And really, why should they? Well, anyways, it's hard to sell conspiracy theories <laughs> if everything that, you know, is factual is true. Right. <laughs> so I'm actually, I'm pulling this straight out of this great Arthur, uh, article by Arthur Scheel. And this is found in the Judaism Journal. And I, I will put an, a link up to it. So if you want to get more detailed with it, by all means. But this is just kind of a general overview. And basically, we have two books claiming to be the Book of Jasher. And okay. one was an 11th century um, book. It was written in Hebrew. The other one was written in 1757 in English. It has no connection to the 11th century book. Okay. So you can already see we're going to have some muddy waters. Uh, Joseph Ben Samuel, uh, he was a Jewish man who said that he had discovered the long lost book of Jasher. He'd found it in Naples and it traveled, traveled there from Alexandria, which we've discussed before, mm -hmm. and that it had been preserved and somehow managed to escape the burning of the library, yada, yada, yada. But it's really, it was all just a big marketing campaign right. because who's going to check this out? I mean, in the 11th century, who's going to be able to to go back and, and fact check this at all. And he had written this very interesting collection of stories. And it was so convincing that until 1828, nobody even really questioned whether it was legitimate or not. Right. So it, it was around for a long time. And it does have that, that air of antiquity. Uh, I have not read it in Hebrew. I've read English translations of parts of it. Mm -hmm. But evidently, um, the Hebrew is so close to the biblical Hebrew that it appears authentic. Interesting. So, yeah, because I mean, it was accepted by Jewish audiences. It, this wasn't like people who had no clue, hadn't studied the Torah, hadn't studied Talmud. Right. These are people who this is a language they spoke, um, or at least had read, maybe hadn't spoke, because the whole thing of the, uh, the Jewish language, Hebrew language... That's a whole other saga in mm -hmm. and of itself. Um, but basically, this guy announced that in 1828 that he was going to... You're talking about the other... Wait. Oh, you're okay. still talking about the first one. Okay. Well, I'm sorry. This is... Are we still talking about the first book no, of Jasher? No, we're going to the second. Uh, the second one. Okay. Announcement made uh, by a guy named Philip Rose. And he suddenly announced that he had found a copy of the book of Jasher, a scroll that was found in Persia... And that had been purchased by Charlemagne. So once again, we have this great pedigree that sounds all impressive that people can't substantiate, mm -hmm. but they can't disprove it either. And mo at the same time, when he pu published this article, this letter to the editor explaining his intent that his Philip Rose's um, translation was going to be available, this guy named Moses Samuel said, no, wait, I found a scroll in North Africa. 
that's all that the that's the real book of Jasher, and you, I'm going to send it out. So okay, yeah, I, and this is a great you know this is just great for us to learn you know what's out there. But then this guy named Leopold Zunz picks up a critique in response to the book of Jasher that um, that had been written by Joseph Ben Samuel that is going to be republished by Moses Samuel, who's, yeah, they're, okay. they're related descendants. And uh, Leopold Zunz writes up a critique, and he basically says that Joseph Samuel's Book of Jasher from the 11th century is a great and wonderful book, but it's poppycock. And okay. <laughs> he, he uh, wrote up evidently what was uh, a, a pretty stellar critique of it. And he says, you know, hey, it's wonderful. It's, it's got some great insight. It, it's fun reading. It's on the same plane as the Zohar. And okay. now the Zohar, for, for people who aren't familiar, quick little side note, the Zohar is basically a collection of Jewish teachings and mysticism that was uh, put together in, by Moses de Leon in the 11th century it he he made it he put took all these individual accounts and put them together in a way that they were more coherent and they flowed they mm -hmm. were built on earlier accounts for the most part and they were part of a uh, a jewish sect uh, that followed the way of the kabbalah and if you've heard of the kabbalah it's probably because madonna was practicing kabbalah yeah and, and various other movie stars and singers have been uh, have, have gotten into it um, or say they have, it's, <laughs> there, there's, uh, usually whenever they do that, they're not really fully following it, but they're the, following some kind of version of it. Some Yeah. I guess, yeah, there's some derivative, uh, type of religious aspect of it. Um, if, if you want a good, uh, easy kind of walk through it, <laughs> uh, actually we were just talking about this earlier. Um, Alan Moore, um, if you don't know that name, um, who has also claimed it points to follow the Kabbalah. Who, yeah, who also claims to, to be a Kabbalist. The, um, he is, um, he wrote a series, oh, I'm trying to think, uh, he wrote The Watchman, mm -hmm. uh, or, or Watchman, sorry, there's no the in it, the title is just Watchman. And, um, which is currently available on Netflix. Which is, is it on Netflix now? Yes. Oh, yeah, I haven't watched it in a while. I have the DVD somewhere, but um, the... Uh, so he wrote the story that that's based on. They don't actually, I don't think they reference him in the credits for the movie because he had, he's kind of an interesting character. He's kind of distanced himself from a lot of his work um, for whatever reasons that he has. But he um, wrote a series called Promethea. And now I will warn you, there is, um, there's some comic book nudity mm -hmm. uh, here and there. There's uh, lots of strong language. But if you are interested in um, kind of getting like the basics of Kabbalism without having to really do any dry study, it's a it's a intriguing read, and and check it out. It's um, but yeah, it's one of those things. You know, make sure you're you're ready to to deal with some really weird concepts. Well, and and Kabbalism it 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 is weird. It's uh, very mystical. Uh, it is considered to be something that can only truly be studied by those worthy of initiation. Mm -hmm. um, 
And it, it's very much based on the idea um, that we're for, familiar with from the ideas of Gnosticism, that, that duality where the physical is bad and flawed and corrupt and the spiritual is the most pure. And, and one of the most basic ideas in the Kabbalah is that, uh, that the um, God is so far removed from creation. He's so holy and he's so much more than anything that we can even begin to process that even any kind of representation we see of him, whether it's the Shekinah, uh, Metatron, uh, which appears in a lot of second, <laughs> uh, second Temple Lit, uh, the Book of Enoch. And Dogma. Uh, and Dogma, Alan Rickman. Uh, so, <laughs> so uh, but yeah, the, and uh, so he, these are just, these are lesser manifestations that, that God himself cannot be revealed or basically we would just die. Yeah. And, well, and, and the, if, and again, I just, I haven't studied too much Kabbalah stuff, but, you know, but from the people who, that I know who have been into it say that Prometheus is a great representation of the, of the ideas. And then you and, have to and, ask which, which version of it, because right. there's like 20 different schools. <laughs> yeah. Well, the, the, um, you know, they, they, the two, the two big things, uh, that, that I've seen or what, with the people I've talked to that have been emphasizing things is that number one is because the Jewish alphabet is also their numerical system. Mm -hmm. Um, the names that God used to create mm -hmm. people, um, they have a numeric value they that the universe can actually be calculated mm -hmm. um and if you were to solve the equation you would you would have it, it i'm not i'm not joking here uh <laughs> you would you would actually gain mystical powers over certain objects if you can calculate them mm -hmm. um it's very interesting the other big thing is uh not only is god removed there are specific levels of creation that play heavily on the tree of life idea, um, the world tree that runs through creation, which we haven't mentioned that, but that's, that's a very popular idea in a lot of ancient religions that mm -hmm. there is a, what they call the world tree, which the roots go down into hell and the branches, or Sheol, as, uh, or Sheol yeah. Mm -hmm. And the branches ascend up into the heavens and God's at the top of the branches. And, um, the other thing, uh, is in the Kabbalah stuff that it, it seems to me that God is not actually personal um and to ascend to be with god you actually it, it's almost it's very um it, it's almost kind of a hindu idea of, of you have to rid yourself of all personhood in return to a, a state of, of purity that even doesn't resemble being a person anymore so well it, very, it's it's highly influenced by zoroastrianism which is a, sure. a persian religion and that's a whole other thing but it's highly influenced by that, which was also has roots in the same area and worldview where we get Hinduism. Right. And so it all kind of ties together. And it is this idea that you, you have to do these certain acts and perform these certain rituals and, and understand these certain insights that are revealed in Scripture, but coded in such a way that only a select few can understand it. And then if you understand it, you do grow in unity with God. Mm -hmm. And that that is the goal. And even you're talking about the the mathematical equations, the one of the basic beliefs to most forms of Kabbalah is that the world itself, the physical world, is actually made out of God manipulating the individual letters of the alphabet to create us. Right. So 
there, I, as you can tell, for us to even try to do a full uh, treatment of, of that, it, it, we would need we've, more time. We've barely scratched the surface and, and we have grossly oversimplified everything everything uh, in that. But, but those are the, the most basic terms we can express what we know of it. <laughs> and that was what uh, Lunds was trying to, to describe this book of Jasher uh, in his article. He, he's basically saying it's at the same level that this is that the Zohar, which is the, mm-hmm. the, the Zohar is the primary text. Once it was written, it became adopted as the foundational holy text for Kabbalists. Right. So um, now we know that there's a lot of debate on how great and reliable that is. And it kind of just depends on um, who you ask. Uh, Hasidic Jews value it highly. Nachmanides uh, was a, a Kabbalist. Um, so you've got some really uh, very influential uh, Jewish leaders and teachers who who ascribe to this view, and you know I think we need to be very careful with it because we are dealing with um, it can break down into mysticism, straight up mysticism, and not in a good way. Mysticism, right. uh, it can break down into Gnosticism very quickly. Uh, there's and and then into magic practice as well, pretty much, and it becomes very superstitious, and even. Ben Sirach, who I think we've talked about him on some of the episodes. Yeah, yeah, we've mentioned him before. Mm-hmm. He even warns against studying some of these things. So we, you know, very careful uh, with this thing. We we don't really endorse it. So anyhow, basically what happens, we're back to the book of Jasher. Lunds has, has given us a proper perspective for this Hebrew work. And now I don't know what happened with Philip Rose. He kind of fell off the... The map. yeah fell off the map, but in the meantime, this guy named Jacob Ilev, who is a was a Christian deist. Deist. Why am I saying deist? That's a cool know. word. Deist. What would a deist? Never mind. Um. Hey, hey, we might have found a term. Let's. <laughs> yeah, a that's, Christian. That's, that's a way back call. Sorry. Yeah, a Christian deist who'd written an English book that he called the Book of Jasher, and it was written specifically to. Uh, undermine uh, Judaism by discrediting Moses. Interesting. Oh, yeah. Because things like Jethro, who's not really Jewish, he's mm-hmm. a pagan. Uh, this is how the book of Jasher presents him. The Bible kind of might point, paint a little different perspective. Yeah. You know, it kind of mentions towards the end that Jethro does accept Yahweh as the, the one true God. Exactly. And in in I Love's book, the the Jethro is created with giving Moses the law instead of God himself. Um, and very, very anti-Semitic, uh, anti-Jewish. Uh, mm. And it was very quickly realized, recognized as a fake. And actually, oh, he was in prison for three years for daring to write this book, which I kind of thought was pretty awesome. Well, it's uh, fraud. It is. It, it is. It's fraud. And I'm like... It's it's about time. Can you imagine if we enforce those rules on the internet today? Oh my goodness! <laughs> yeah, that hmm. yeah. Well, we shouldn't get into that. Let's go right. So uh, okay, so Moses Samuel, he did in 1840. He did republish his grandfather's book of Jasher. Okay, or great grandfather's book of Jasher, and he re- he trans printed it in English. He did so because. He was very 
pro-Israel. Even at this point in 1840, there was this, this push to get uh, the Jews back to Israel. Mm-hmm. They were really trying to make that happen. And he felt that if he could translate that Hebrew work into English, then Christians would support the cause of helping get the Jews back to Israel. Okay. And so that's why it's out there. So all of that to say, what's on the internet, what you're going to buy on Amazon that's called the Book of Jasher, it's not the biblical book. It's not the one mentioned in, in no. the, the, I'm sorry, I yeah. forget which books you said. Judges, and, Judges Samuel. and Samuel. Okay. Or Joshua and Samuel, sorry. And, and you know, it's, it's interesting. Uh, it does draw on some early traditions, but this is why we've got to be careful when we're looking at something. Just because it's old doesn't mean it's reliable. Right. And I don't know how many times we've talked about this. Um, I don't think we've talked about it on the show, but like the Nagamadi Library that was discovered. Um, full of Gnostic writings. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is where we get the Gospel of Thomas. Uh, I'm trying to think of some of the other ones, Gospel of Mary. Uh, these... There's a Gospel of Judas out there somewhere. Yeah. It, well, Which, I don't know how he wrote that, but... Kind of hard he when have, you... He must have written it really quick. Right? Yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> Maybe but... that rope was really long. Uh. So, um, <laughs> yeah. But real, real quick... Uh, that, that was, you know, you're talking about just because something is old doesn't mean it's reliable. And, you know, I used to work at a music store mm-hmm. and one of the, one of the things that we did, we bought and sold used equipment because used guitars, um, a lot of people don't realize this, uh, guitars actually have appreciated faster than, uh, since you know, a guitar bought in the fifties or sixties have appreciated far more than any stock anyone's purchased. Um, so there's that. Um, invest in guitars. Um, <laughs> but the, uh, you know, there's, you get really good at spotting differences between a real guitar and a fake guitar. Mm-hmm. And we, ha- now we, and we did have, and this is, I remember one time we had someone bring in an SG, a Gibson SG. Um, we'll put a picture in the show Translation, notes. Translation, that's an old guitar. Uh, well, no, they still <laughs> make them. But this one, um, the, the, person who brought it in said they remembered their grandpa had it as long as he could remember um really loved it and and the gibson sg wasn't invented until the 1960s and so there's certain still old it's older than me well yes <laughs> but there's there's certain uh, you know there's certain markers that you look for on guitars to tell whether or not they're old but there was just something off about all of this stuff and one of the biggest things that you'll tend to see um on people doing fakes especially newer fakes it's there's a the finish is different mm-hmm. and the finish on the old guitars will crack um they call it checking and they'll have all these little cracks in it this and this was the thing that kind of threw us is this had the that old guitar cracked look to it and because not only does it just crack cuz you can get some cracking on new guitars if the, if they're not taken care of but it was actually starting to get kind of gummy like the old mm. finishes would um i I'm, i know there's a lot of technical detail but it was, I just remember after it being done, after we sent the person on and, and we hate telling, we, we hated telling people that, Hey, this is a fake guitar because oftentimes they didn't know they'd either bought it from someone else or someone had given it to them. It'd been in the family for had years. been in the family for years. And, but yeah, it, it was one of those things like with as old as this thing has to be, it must be the real deal, but something's not right about it. So we, it was an old fake. It was a really old fake. So yeah, I mean, even in guitars, not just literature, but yeah, just because it's old doesn't mean yeah. So that's sorry. That was 
No, I, I mean, don't know if that illustrates the point or just is a fun story, but go ahead. Well, I mean, and that's that's a thing that we need to keep in mind because we can't just assume that because something was written that everybody who wrote in any particular day and age had a pure heart or pure intentions. We know that's not true today. We probably know that even more today than people did anywhere in the past. Right. And so can old books, uh, old manuscripts tell us something? Absolutely. They can tell us about the character of the people alive. They can tell us a lot about habits and lifestyle and things like that. It doesn't mean that it's reliable, but most importantly, it doesn't mean that it's inspired. Right. Well, and, and we also tend to think, too, that we, we overplay oftentimes the, illiter- the, the lack of literacy in ancient cultures where there you might have people who are, you might not have as many literate people as we do today, um, but at the same time, the people. There, was, there was enough people reading that, one, you could standardize a language, so that's mm-hmm. important. But the writing tools were not as rare as we tend to think they were. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's, that's something else, they, too. Well, and they learned how to make do. I mean, they wrote on pottery. They wrote on clay tablets. Uh, you know, they, parchment was amazingly expensive, and that was probably the rarest. But there, there were other means available. And the other thing, too, the people who were literate were exceptionally literate. Right. And the, the qualifications to get a doctorate today are nothing compared to what they were even five, six hundred years ago. Well, yeah. It, and that's one thing I, I love that the ancient, in the ancient world, they would, your education was not considered complete. And, and you went to school, you learned three things. Uh, you learned to think critically, argue persuasively, and read and write. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you could break that into four things, but, you know, technically three depending on how you divide them, but it's called the trivium. You would learn that. You would learn those those three things, and you would become a proficient rhetorician before you even selected your major, quote unquote. They didn't call it a major back then, but before you selected your field of study. But they believed that if if your mind could do those three things, then you could actually pursue any type of career you wanted to. Kind of total opposite of teaching to, to the test. Yeah, well, it, and it's totally opposite of how we do today. Now, nowadays, we have people, we're, we're teaching them to read and write before they can do anything else. And then before they have a chance to do anything else, we're, we tell them, hey, you got to pick out what you want to do. Right. And then, then, then dedicate four to eight years learning to do the bare minimum required for that task. And then they might not even want to do it once they get there. Okay, so true story. I feel strongly about this. Sorry, go ahead. Yeah, true story. I actually, when I got my degree in uh, psychology, at the end of that course, I, uh, of course, a study, I went and did my internship, spent two weeks at an intensive outpatient drug rehab center, and realized I'm in the wrong field. Right. And so, you know, I had wasted, well, I didn't waste it. I've been able to use that degree for other stuff, but it's certainly not anything that's going to get me a job because. I shouldn't be allowed to go into psychology as a profession, okay? That, I'll just be up front. But anyhow, that's a, uh, a cautionary tale about uh, not only the, the problems with education. And we're actually going to move away from the book of Jasher, and we're going to talk about another writing. And again, I, this is, man... As I was reading the, the Jacob story, and I noticed that Laban had nakashed, uh, as again, we said that's really bad Hebrew-English uh, mashup there, that he had divined, 
that Jacob was basically good luck. Right. I had decided that I needed to look into that. And I found another article. Of course you did. And I fell into this. And this article was actually, I was so pleased to see a name because when I started looking into this. Uh, now, real quick, I, I do want to mention a lot of times when you're talking about an article, you're talking about uh, articles from uh, from journals and right. not just, uh, you know, HuffPo or something like that. No, it's, no, <laughs> this is not BuzzFeed. This is not. <laughs> yeah, it's it's a. Uh, you know, it's and not even not even L.A. Times or not LA, the New Washington York Times, Post, Washington, New York or, Times or any any even legitimate newspapers. You're talking about peer uh, reviewed journals, academic so, journals. Yeah, so it's not just uh, so the people know, who Billy know Bob's, what, Billy Bob's blog of right, weird things. Right. And, like and, us. P, p, <laughs> exactly. That's where we are. But you know, we <laughs> want to point you to better sources. And um, so this is a peer review journal. Um, and oh, my goodness, did I not get the, the journal's name? I did get the author's name. Uh, I do know Tyndale uh, pr- published it. Uh, Tyndale's a good name, so if you're to keep in mind. Uh, but we've re- we referenced him on the divorce episode, David Instone Brewer. Mm-hmm. So when I saw his name, I was really excited because I know all of his other stuff is it's on point. It's accurate. Right. And so I wanted, uh, you know, when you find somebody you can trust and they're writing about a topic, that's always kind of a little bit of relief. And you feel like you don't have to spend so much time vetting your source that way. Right. So, um, because as I was studying about the Nakash, which I decided to lay aside, we'll come back to that later, that term. Uh, we'll talk about that actually with Joseph. I found this story. And basically the story is, it boils down to one thing, that Laban and Balaam are the same character. And real quick, Balaam was the prophet who prophesied against Israel that the angel stood in his way and Balaam's donkey refused to go forward. Right. And so Balaam winds up beating his donkey, trying to get it to go forward. And the donkey turns around and informs Balaam why he needs to back off. Right. And it's, you know, so this donkey talks. And now the, the immediate problem when I saw this was like, wait a minute. That's like over 400 years. And I knew that lifespans were starting to shorten at this point. We don't have any Methuselahs left around. So, but this intrigued me because I'd never heard it before. Right. And the... (laughs) Now, is is the theory that it's the same person or it's the same character in the story? Well, uh, okay. So that's where um, Brewer actually starts to answer some of these questions. Okay. And because he pulled all of his information from something called Targums. Sure. Now, Targums are the uh, Aramaic paraphrases or interpretations of the Bible. A lot of times when there was a reading in a temple or a synagogue, they would read the original text in the Hebrew, Mm -hmm. and then they would turn around and read it in the Aramaic because a lot of the people may not speak Hebrew. So it, it was kind of a clarification thing. Right. And... So we still have copies of these Targums. Now, the ones we have are written after 70 AD or CE. And so they're a little bit newer than a lot of the Second Temple uh, literature we have. But we also find some references to these ideas in um, Second Temple lit. So we know they're older. We know that even though the Targums were written later, they're drawing on ancient ideas. The Mm -hmm. Targums just kind of fully lay it out there what's going on. And so he says that there's um, 
in these targums, basically, you're offered three alternatives. One is that Balaam and, Balaam and Laban are exactly the same person. Okay. They are 100% the, the exact individual. The second is that Balaam, Laban is Balaam's grandfather. Okay. Time-wise, that kind of, that could almost work out. Yeah. The third option is that Laban, like you were saying, is the same character in the story that Balaam is. Which would make more sense to me. Yeah. Or that Laban was maybe his spiritual father. Okay. Or, Or maybe he was from the school or some descendant or something of that nature. Yes. And... So what we wind up with is we wind up with this story uh, being told that basically Laban, when he came after uh, Jacob, he wasn't just coming after Jacob to stop Jacob, but he actually came to kill Rachel. That Rachel had stolen his idols. Mm-hmm. Rachel was also giving birth to the child that would give birth to the Messiah one day. Sure. And so they, he chases them in the story all the way down to Egypt, and that's where they take refuge. So then, according to which story you listen to, Janus and Jambres, uh, Jambres uh, try to convince Pharaoh to kill Rachel's son. Okay. Now, this, that, those names appear in 2 Timothy 3.8. Now, are, are those, wait, are th- those the midwives? Nope. No, which, who are the? They are the magicians. The magicians. Okay, sorry. Okay, yeah. yeah. That, so these are, in one story, these are Laban's sons who are trying to convince Pharaoh to kill the children of Rachel and Jacob. Interesting. Okay. Yes. And so then when they go into the, the, the desert, after they leave behind the magicians of Egypt, this is when they encounter Balaam, the prophet. And so just like the children of Israel did in Egypt, coming out of Egypt, so Jacob and Rachel supposedly encountered Balaam again. Mm-hmm. So, um, and that's when things really start to get interesting because um, this seems like, okay, that's just a really weird story until you realize that Matthew 2 picks up on all this. Okay. So one second. So in Matthew 2, and let me, I've got this marked. So I'm not going to read all of Matthew 2, Mm-mm. but um, well, I have the page before it marked. And it's where... Um, when Herod is killing the children, um, uh, Matthew says, you know, then, then was fulfilled what was spoken by the prophet. A voice was heard in uh, Ramah, weeping a loud lamentation, Rachel weeping for her children. Uh, she refused to be comforted because they were no more. Right. So we got this tie back to Rachel here. But the, the problem that scholars have had with Matthew 2 is he quotes, I wanted to say, I wanted to be very... Um, use a lot of hyperbole there, but he quotes several different of the prophets. Right. And he pulls all these quotes together that seem almost random and disjointed. And scholars have tried for a really long time to figure out how in the world do these work together? (laughs) What, and how is he interpreting these to mean what he's saying they mean? Right. And so this is really, it was troublesome. uh, And it's one of the major critiques that um, Jews today offer up against Christians. They're saying, oh, yeah, well, you've got these things that you say are prophecies for the Messiah, but are they really prophecies for the Messiah right. when you've pulled them out of context? And so I, I just kind of, I decided we're just going to work through 
um, what Matthew offers. And the first thing Matthew does is he offers a, a quote from Micah 5. Mm-hmm. And he quotes um, the verses 2 and 4, but he puts them together. And it was about uh, the child being born in Bethlehem, the child being a shepherd to his people, and he is Messiah and he is king. And those are the three points that that Matthew pulls out of his kind of almost mangled quoting <laughs> of Micah. And so, of course, as we talked about last week, Rachel died outside of Bethlehem. And so Bethlehem is tied very tightly to the death of, of Rachel. Rachel's the only woman who's identified as a shepherdess in, in the, the entire Bible. She... And she is going to give birth to, um, according to the Second Temple t- Temple literature, the story of Balaam and Laban, mm-hmm. the Messiah and the King. Right now, we know that that the Messiah and King actually comes through Judah, but that's we'll get there later. Uh, then he quotes Hosea eleven one, out of Egypt I have called my son. Right, and so now we're back to that story where Balaam slash Laban chases them into Egypt. And it's following that same story that that was being told about Balaam and Laban, but it's also the story that was played out in the real life world of Jacob and his sons. Right. And it's actually this uh, Targum of Pseudo-Jonathan that 100% identifies Janus and John Bray's as Pharaoh's magicians, but Philo who we've also talked about before, has a special name for them. And it was Magi. Interesting. Okay. So we have the Magi who, who show up here. And we know that the Magi, according to other Second Temple list, um, Second Temple literature, have told Pharaoh things that uh, a son is going to be born into the children of Jacob who is going to destroy all of Egypt. Right. And we know that um, Mary and Joseph, they, they had to leave just like Jacob and his sons, or Jacob was dead at this point, right. but as his sons leave, and that when they come out of Egypt, you were reading this I heard earlier with the girls, when they leave, they leave because Herod's dead, so it's safe. Right. But when they get out of there, Archelaus is now the, uh, the king, sure. and Joseph changes course. And this is exactly what happens in that... Balaam Laban saga. And so it's the idea that they had escaped, the children of Israel had escaped Balaam's son or Laban's sons in Egypt, mm-hmm. but they left just to confront Balaam himself. Interesting. And so it's that Joseph, he leaves because it's safe. He's escaped Herod, but now he's going to encounter Balaam himself in the form of Archelaus. Right. So. I apologize if anyone's hearing that on the recording. I don't know what's going on out there, but I hear it sounds like they're banging on the doors. They may be tearing down the house. Who knows? Yeah, whatever. So the the Targums, when they when they start telling these stories and they start pulling in, um, not only do you have your primary text, they start pulling in quotes from other text. And so in doing so, they begin to uh, make these connections that allow the reader to, you know, by quoting that one line, Mm-hmm. You know, it was a three-hour tour. Now you're thinking of Gilligan and Marianne. Yeah. By Tony, so, well, we are. <laughs> right. Who knows about people younger than us? Mother of dragons. <laughs> now you're thinking of Game of Thrones. 
So, so <laughs> fair enough. <laughs> but it's by quoting that one line. Now you're pulling in the entirety of the text to their memory. And the Targums, they, they pull from November, Numbers 2417, which is Balaam's final prophecy. Mm -hmm. And they connect it with Isaiah 11.1. And, or Isaiah 11. Isaiah 11 is the prophecy, um, and we won't take time to read all of it, but we talk about the shoot coming from the root of Jesse and the, mm -hmm. the tender branch. And these are all connected together. And it's not just the Targums that do this. Uh, the Testament of Judah does it and the Testament of Levi does it. So there is a long-standing, again, second temple lit there. There's a long-standing tradition that Balaam's prophecy and Isaiah 11 should be read together. Interesting. It, it really is, because we think of Balaam as being a horrible guy. Right. And, I mean, Revelation doesn't have uh, positive things to say about him. The children of Israel killed him. Uh, he's prophesied against Israel because he's been bribed. And, but his prophecy had a lot to do. If you read the final prophecy, which is uh, in Numbers 24, one of the two elements that stand out is, one, there's going to be a scepter, and there's going to be a star. Now we're back to Matthew 2, one of the primary elements in Matthew 2. So scepter, scepter. and a star. Yeah, uh, yeah, the star. That's, that was what I was going to. Now, the, the scepter's a little bit more obscure. And the reason why it's more obscure is because Jesus is called a Nazarene. Okay. For many, many years, and I think I was taught this, and I know you probably taught this, we were taught Jesus was called a Nazarene because he lived in Nazareth. Right. It's probably not accurate. And according to some of the archaeological finds on spellings, and uh, basically to get Nazarene from Nazareth, you're going to have to play fast and loose with the Greek. Okay. It's not, or the, the Hebrew. It's not a good look. But the thing is... A much closer word to Nazarene is found in Isaiah 111, that branch. It's a netzer. Okay. And so a netzer becomes a scepter. Gotcha. And so now we've got that connection that is, is very, um, it's very concrete. And so Matthew, as, as he's walking you through this stuff, He's not referring to the Rachel story. He's not referring to anything to do with Laban until he gets to that one verse that you read. Right. Rachel crying for her children. And it's like, in case you lost the plot, I want you to, to focus your, your attention right back here. And he, he's quoting Jeremiah 31 right there. Mm -hmm. And Jeremiah 31, 15, Rachel crying for her children. And he's pointing his readers, not just is God going to bring the children of Jacob and Rachel out of Egypt and do so safely. He's going to do it in such a way that all the children from Egypt and beyond, they're all going to be reunited and they're going to be reunited under a new covenant. And that they're going to be collected as a family once again back in Israel. Right. Now, this is evidently, this was pretty normal. In Jewish uh, teaching, uh, Brewer says it's called a prom. Okay. P-R-O-E-M. Okay. And these were taught in the synagogues and temples that, alongside a primary text. And the thing is, we have hundreds of these saved from, those time, from that same time period. And we, we know what the form looks like. We know how they, how they work. And basically, 
what the writer would do, he'd say, okay, here's our primary text, mm -hmm. even though he'd never mention it because you were supposed to already know supposed it. supposed to know it, yeah. <laughs> and here's how we're going to explain it. And we're explaining it by pulling all of these little quotes from the different prophets, these one line, two line. Right. And we're going to put them into the, this argument to support what we're trying to, to convey to you. And this was a normal teaching method. Right. Well, and that was actually, I mean, you see that in Jesus. Uh, you say it's like a normal teaching method. You see that when Jesus t argues with the Pharisees mm -hmm. and you see him uh, cite things like, you know, um, who, who is the greatest or who's the greatest? No, that's, that's James and John. Sorry. <laughs> you know, which is the greatest of commands? Well, you know, he's not, the, the, the Pharisee's not asking because he wants to know. He's not just curious. Mm -hmm. He's checking, he's testing to make sure that Jesus knows his Bible. Mm -hmm. And basically saying if Jesus can't even cite the greatest commandment, then he's, he does, then we don't have, we can just discredit him. And, and so you see that where he, he says, um, you know, you shall love the Lord, your God with all your heart, your soul, your mind. We didn't have verses at this point. So right. we had, we had quotations and that's how you remembered. And whenever, whenever Jesus says that because the command itself is longer than just that line. Right. The command goes into studying Torah. It goes into uh, reciting it with your kids and teaching it to your, to your children. Um, so that's the whole of the command is when you put all that stuff with it. And I believe it's Deuteronomy 6, uh, is that verse it's, 9? It's chopped up in there. So, it's not just 6, yeah. But, but, but yeah, so when Jesus says that, he's actually referencing the whole command and whoever was with him should have known Hey, I'm referencing this whole command here, and so that's when. Um, but that was very common to do, right. and, and be, again, because you didn't just have verses, which I actually, you know, and you know me, I, I understand the verses are there for to to be able to find stuff, but but I can't remember numbers. <laughs> I, I well, I have such a hard time remembering numbers anyway. But to me, it is. Uh, I think we almost have kind of a disservice, but well, that's a whole other topic. Oh, we divided up in the wrong spots a lot of times. Exactly. And, and then we lose that, we had that disconnect. And I, I think one of the things that this really drove home to me was how much we need, not just the Old Testament to understand the New Testament, but that, that second temple format, that second mm -hmm. temple understanding, where the, the story of Rachel and Jacob going into Egypt, where Laban is this evil person, so evil that he comes back as Balaam, whether literally or figuratively, spiritually, whatever, I don't care. He, he's still very connected. When you have that laid out that way, now, I can, now we can understand what Matthew 2 is really doing, what Matthew's trying to accomplish. He's using mm -hmm. the means that the audience is very familiar with. Scholars in our day were confused because they had no idea that Matthew had an agenda. Right, and I mean, they knew he had an agenda, but they didn't realize that he had an agenda that was following honored traditions. Right, and so, so I think you know it's kind of fun with this episode because we start out, you know, Book of Jasher isn't what you say it is, <laughs> but here's this other story that even though may not be correct or factual, right, the the writers of the New Testament still took it and ran with it because it helped the audience get it. Yeah, and so. There's got to be that balanced approach when we're dealing with old, old books and writings. Well, and actually, that's that's one of the things um, you and I talked about this. You know, and I mentioned on early on we were talking about the the um, 
divine counsel, worldview, things like that. How, you know, I, the analogy is I used was seeing the trailer versus seeing the movie. And actually, uh, after watching uh, Serenity with Naomi, I, I came up, I realized that that's probably the better analogy. If anyone's ever seen the movie uh, Serenity, uh, you know that it's a full story. It's it's a complete story. You have a beginning, you have a middle, you have an mm-hmm. end. Um, and you have everything you need to know those characters. But if you really want to get to know them even better, you go back and you watch the series Firefly, and then it makes more sense. So that's that's one of those things. You know, it, just the the Bible we have, it's not in, it's not incomplete, right? Um, but everything for faith and practice is there. But yes, but we can definitely get a better picture of what's going on if we understand some of these Second Temple sources and and know which ones really are Second Temple sources. (laughs) Yeah, that too, and um, and are able to to see what the what the gospel writers were often quoting or referencing. And and speaking of quoting and referencing, I'm going to put links up to both of those articles um, that were there uh, that that I kind of went over and I went over those articles really fast. I, I don't think you need to read Hebrew for either one of them. Um, so I think anybody could, could find them to be very accessible. And th- this is kind of really where we want to go with the show is that um, when we bring this kind of thing to you, here's another tool you can use. And, and don't be, you know, don't be put off by the idea of reading an academic article uh, yeah, sometimes the language is a little different. Right. Um, and I'm not talking like Hebrew to English. I'm just talking English to English. Sure. And so, but it, it's one of those things, if you pr- read enough of them and practice reading them and kind of getting the feel of how people talk in academic circles, mm-hmm. then you're going to be better prepared to be able to, to dive into some of the stuff and, and understand some things that maybe weren't accessible before. And don't be ashamed of that. I mean, I spent the first year of seminary with a dictionary in my book bag because I didn't understand half the things the other students were saying. Right. And so, you you know, it's just practice. Yeah. Just practice and repetition and more repetition and then do it again. Yeah. And one more time just to make sure. So I I just thought that that's kind of an interesting element uh, with, with Laban and Balaam. And I knew if we went back and picked up Balaam later, we're going to take it a different route and look at some other stuff. And I didn't, I don't see us returning to Laban anytime soon. Sure. So, sure. and one more, I, okay, one more thing. So when Rachel did die outside of Bethlehem, one of the things that has been speculated is that it was for the specific reason that God could not have an idolater return and be a huge influence in the promised land. Interesting. Yeah. And so this is, that's the reason why you can read her, her, naming of the son, son of my sin, as one of the, the Midrash suggests, mm-hmm. as a confession. And that in that confession, she was restored to her place of honor. And that's the reason why she's remembered in Matthew 2 and in this story of Balaam and Laban. Uh-huh. As, yeah. So it, it all just, it works beautifully. There's a depth of richness there that we just don't see otherwise. Right. So. No, that's interesting. So was that... That's that all for this week? That's all for this week. All right. Well, everyone, thank you so much for listening. Um, another really crazy discussion. <laughs> um, so we hope you enjoyed it. If you did, please uh, write us a review, uh, share us, uh, subscribe, all those things. Um, 
If you want to be part of the conversation, hit us up at ravencreeksc.com, uh, where you can find our Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. You can just go there directly with Raven Creek SC. Um, uh, if you really, really like what you heard, uh, hit us up on Patreon, Raven Creek S, uh, patreon.com slash Raven Creek SC, where you can, uh, donate to the cause and help keep us, uh, keep us going. But anyway, thanks again for, for tuning in. Uh, we really appreciate it. And we hope to see you back next week. Thanks for joining us. Bye. Bye. You've been listening to the Faith and Other Oddities podcast, a Raven Creek Social Club production. Don't forget to follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. If you like what you've heard, please write us a review on iTunes or consider supporting us on patreon.com slash ravencreeksc. As always, thank you for listening and don't forget to join us next week.